Fowler community, it's that time of year. We're in the push to Christmas. Uh, if you live in the U.S., hopefully you had a great time with your family over Thanksgiving. And if you don't celebrate Thanksgiving where you live, at least I hope you've been given some time for yourself to rest and be with your family before the giant, you know, heavy weight of Christmas lands on top of you. And you all know this, but so often we approach our lives as technical artists in the local church as a sprint. We're going from one urgent emergency to another week after week. And it's so easy to get trapped into a cycle of working kind of at our maximum with no headroom, no bandwidth for more. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit that, you know, Christmas is our big time of the year. You know, it's time to dig in and get things done. But we also have to be smart about pacing ourselves. So maybe you've already been running at maximum and you're entering Christmas in that place. And maybe this could be just a, uh, an encouragement that after Christmas to start new rhythms of not living your life at such a pace all the time, how important it is to create space for ourselves and, you know, to make sure that you're taking care of yourself this next month especially, but then all year long so you can build up your strength for a season like Christmas. And as you look uh, ahead to the this next month, this Christmas season, you know, it would be important to take care of yourself. Could be taking time to exercise or trying to eat right. It could also mean keeping yourself centered spiritually. And especially since what we're working on so hard is part of the foundation of our faith, you know, Christmas, it's important to stay in touch with you know, what all the hard work is actually for. And this is why the team at Philo has curated a series of devotions to help us stay centered during this intense season. And each day's reading is written by someone from the Philo community, someone who understands how tough the Christmas season can be, and they're easy to digest. So each reading takes about two to three minutes to, to read, just enough time to be reminded of all that Christ has done for us and what started at Christmas time when he came to earth as a baby. And we're really proud to be partnering with Uversion, who's hosting the Philo Advent devotional. And if you have the Bible app, you can go to New Plans and find us there. You can also follow the links in our show notes for a direct link in the Bible app, as well as links to our webpage and YouTube channel, which will have the same content there. Let me just say, you're worth a couple of minutes each day to slow down and look past all the crazy work and remember why you're doing it in the first place. Speaking of the Philo Advent devotional, our guest on the podcast today contributed one of the writings for one of the days, Christina Pendleton. She's a worship producer at the Grove Christian Church in Riverside, California. And not only did she do an Advent devotional for us, but she was also a part of the Philo Conference in 2022. So if you were there, you'll remember her from giving a blessing at the end of one of our main sessions. It was great to sit down with her. We had a really great conversation. So let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Christina. Hi, it's nice to be here. <laughs> yeah, nice. So at the last Philo conference, I remember leaning over to Chelsea and saying, hey, we need to get Christina on the podcast. <laughs> After you did the blessing for our people during one of the sessions and but kept bumping into you during the event uh, with our Philo cohort people and stuff. And I love what you're doing and thought it'd be great to have you on the podcast. So welcome. It's seriously great to be here. It's yeah. kind of surreal because I've listened for years, and so getting to share is really cool. Yeah. One of the things that you'll know this from being in a couple of Philo cohorts, the thing that amazes me is how similar we all are. Like if you're doing church production, it doesn't matter how big your church is, how small, how big your budget is, what your denomination is, what language you speak. Like we all have so much in common. And so I'm really excited. I love what you share online. And yeah, I think you have a lot to offer 
our audience. Thanks. So I guess is the conference where your first connection is or was it the cohorts? Yeah. Yeah. So a few years ago, my TD actually like brought up like, hey, there's this online community of people that do what we do. And I don't know, I think even back then, I probably wouldn't have really considered myself a tech. Okay. I was just like, yeah, I just fill in here and there. like. Yeah. <laughs> and then I started following Philo and I was like, oh, this is like a thing. Like there are a lot of people that do what we do. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. And we went to the Philo conference in Anaheim oh, back nice. in, was that 2019? It was 2019. 2018, yeah. something like that. 19, yeah. And so I like briefly met you there. Okay. But that was actually where I first met Chelsea. And then yeah. went to Philo this year in 2022. And okay. that was where we really met. Yeah, nice. To get started as a basis for our conversation, maybe you could just talk a little bit about like, what is it you do right now? And then maybe the story of how you got there. So it could be as long or as short as you want to make it, but just kind of your journey to this point. Yeah. So I currently serve as the worship producer at the Grove Community Church in Riverside, California. I really have been on staff for 14 years. By the time okay. wow. this goes live, it'll be like 15 years. Okay. So I've been there a while. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Um, That's I don't, not normal. Yeah, 15 years. Yeah, I... I don't even think I realized that that wasn't normal. Like people move on after like three or four years and I'm like, oh, I'm still here. <laughs> but it's it's been cool to see how God's kind of like changed my path like every few years and added okay. new things and it's great. So I started there because I was friends with the worship pastor and he was looking for a new assistant. So I actually started as an administrative assistant. Okay. And then he was like, hey, you like details. You'd be a great producer. <laughs> Um, So then I started producing on the weekends and just kind of overseeing those things and making connections with the tech team. And then a camera operator called in sick one day. And so I hopped in there Uh and that was terrifying. And I don't know why people like doing cameras, but I'm glad some people do. (laughs) And then a few years go by and we hired a lighting guy. He was great. And then he moved overseas. We hired another lighting guy and then he left. And then it was like, well... Now we've like upped our game. How do we stay there? And it's like, well, I kind of know how to do it. And so I just jumped in there. Okay. And then during COVID, we kind of overhauled how we do video because mm-hmm. everybody did, right? We had that sure, chance right. to basically just film everything like it's a studio. Right. We went from being like two manned cameras to like five or six cameras and it was a big jump. And so then when we started back live... We had to figure out how to kind of keep up that production value, sure. but with volunteers and doing it live. So I just researched everything I could online. It was <laughs> yeah. like, how do people do this? I don't know anything about video. I'd never really video directed. And so I stepped into that about a year and a half ago. Okay, all right. And that's been like my main focus for the last year and a half. You were telling me earlier, the way you got connected to the church was that you're a photographer for church directories, which was such a throwback yeah. to me. I was like... What? Wait, wait a second. Like, I mean, I was, I've been in several yep. church directories. Yeah. yeah. Just, I haven't even thought of that concept. And it's like, it's like a weird time capsule. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking about one in particular that, yeah, when I was, I don't know, it must have been the seventies or something. I could see that picture in my mind of my family at church, but yeah, yeah. I just thought that was so interesting. Yeah. I think our last one was like 2011 and my daughter was like a baby, like couple months old. Yeah. Now she's 11. So 
it's like wild to go back and you're like, wow, this is what all the families looked like. That would be, it would be an interesting statistic. Well, maybe not interesting, but you know, what percentage of churches still do directories? Like a paper, like a... That would be really intriguing. Yeah. Of all the, if all the churches in the US, you know, is it 30% or... Yeah. 2%? I don't know. Interesting. I was surprised at even just like the variety of churches that do them because I was in a different church each week and you'd be at a Baptist uh-huh. church and then a non-denominational church and a Korean church. And it was like, yeah. <laughs> it just, it was everyone. And like, you had no idea what kind of group you were going into, but sure, it right, was really right. fun. Do you have any interesting stories from that, from that time of your life? <laughs> I don't know um, what they my, would be. Oh man, my favorite is a lot of people think it's like a chance to bring in their pet. Like, <laughs> especially, um, you know, the the older population. Sure, right, yeah. um, You know, their kids have moved out and now they have like this dog that's, you know, it's their baby. Yeah, right. And so there was a woman that brought in two like huge, what are they called? Oh, the Bouvier de Flanders. Like okay. they're huge dogs and they just look like a giant poodle kind of. Okay, all right. And... Almost like a Scotty dog giant poodle thing. Sure. And she had two or three of them. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah, right. And yeah. You forgot your squeak toy distraction. Yeah. <laughs> and there was another man that came in with three parrots, like full big macaws. Wow. And like a red one, a blue one, a green one. And I'm like, this is my life right now. And this is like before like... <laughs> you know, camera phone, so I don't have, like, proof to show my friends. Right, right. It's so sad. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. That is like a a giant throwback. And, yeah. Did you ever do, like, the close-up looking away into the distance with the, you know, more of the traditional (laughs) portrait? Yeah. (laughs) Early 2000s, man. It was just, you do all those things. And you do, like, the everyone wears black and it's a black backdrop. So all you see are their head and hands. Yeah, yeah. So weird, just the floating heads. (laughs) Oh, man, so good. All right, so, I mean, we could probably talk for quite a while about church directory photography, but uh, we'll move on to kind of talking about... (laughs) Something more useful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, something more less, uh, less hilarious and more useful. So you're really involved leading the production team at your church. And so often, you know, if we look around, you know, the average church in the United States that has a tech team, you know, most of them are not being led by a woman. For you, is that something that you think about, like that I'm, like there are all these dudes around and I'm the one leading them? Or is it just something you like, hey, somebody's got to lead this and I'm the person for it. And so I'm just going to step into it. I don't think I really even thought about like being a female leader. Uh Uh-huh in a group of men until someone pointed it out to me. (laughs) Okay, all right. But I think it's just kind of how I was raised. Like my mom was like the boss of her unit. She was a nurse and she was the breadwinner of our family. So like my mom was Uh more naturally the leader of our family. And my dad was kind of like the quiet, supportive, super encouraging like cheerleader (laughs) for everyone. All right. And my dad worked nights. So he was always home with me during the day. Okay. And so he dropped me off at school and he would, as I'm getting out of the car, he'd yell, set the example. And I'm like, okay, dad. Yeah. yeah. Whatever that means. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's like those words kind of like mm-hmm. set me on this trajectory of figuring out what does it mean to set the example. And so I think the fact that I had kids pretty young, I was 22 when I had my first kid and it was also okay. the first year I started working at the church. So I was thinking of like, how do I set this example for my daughter? 
of leading and being a strong woman and mm-hmm. what does that look like? And so when I stepped into leading this team, it's kind of been like an evolution into fully sure. leading. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I think more so I was focused on the fact that there were all these older people around me Sure. And I'm this 22-year-old trying to figure out how do I lead these people in their 50s and 60s that are you know, old enough to be my parents. Right, right. But I think we've come together and like we have this great little family and it's like 15 years later and they're still serving with me. And That's so like, cool. They're some of my favorite people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I know that when I first started leading a team, I was 22 or something like that. And yeah, same thing. All the people on the team could be my parents. And the thing that, that my leaders would kind of encourage, I would sort of go to them and say, hey, how do I do this? They're so much older than me. And they would usually say, well, they're looking to you, whether you like know it or not, because you're the expert, you know what's going on. And so they, they're they looking to you for direction. And that doesn't matter how old you are or how old they are, the team needs direction. So, so give it to them. Yeah. That was such a useful piece of advice that helped. I mean, I don't know that that feeling lasted very long, you know, like that, <laughs> oh my gosh, these people are so old. I mean, a- after you get to know people, they're like, well, they're just a person just like I yeah. am. And um, they're just 20 or 30 years older than me. Yeah. I remember like one of my first weeks, like running cameras with guys, one of them mentioned his daughter and I said, oh, how old is your daughter? Thinking like five or six. And he's like <laughs> 25. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, she's older than me. <laughs> and it was like this strange realization of being trusted in a space that I never expected to be trusted in. Sure, yeah. But that's what God does, and it's really yeah. cool. I love what you're saying about set the example. I mean, there's so much good that comes from that phrase. You know, not only mm-hmm. is it, you know, to be a strong woman and to lead, you know, with who God made you to be, but even... Like, how do we do production at our church or how do we behave during rehearsals or, you know, just there are so many things that as leaders, you are setting the example. And sometimes you're doing it whether you know it or not. I mean, you're always doing it, whether you're being intentional about it or not. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the things like I've seen with programming lighting and teaching others how to do that. If you're just programming crazy stuff but that's not actually what you want your volunteers doing, then why are you doing it? You know, you have to set that example and they have to see, sure, okay. okay, this is what we want it to look like and then teaching them in that way and instilling like, why do we make these choices? I right. think that's just, it's how it sinks in for people to understand it. Right, right. So I was in a cohort yesterday, one of our meetings, and we were talking about production values and that sort of thing. And one of the things I think about a lot is, stay calm, like do not freak out uh, because everyone's looking. And I think in the production world, in a live setting, you know, there's so many opportunities to kind of lose your mind. And the team is looking to, you know, the leader to say, how should I respond in these kind of crisis situations? And so when you said set the example that I was just thinking about that, like just stay calm. I had one person I used to work with who ran everywhere, like he was always (laughs) running. You know, from the stage to the to the front of house and, you know, to wherever. Mm-hmm. He was just trying to be efficient. But I, after a while, said, bro, you got to stop running because, like, you're sweaty, you're out of breath. Everybody, you know, I feel like I should be running and out of breath, yeah. like, just a little bit too frantic here. So just, yeah, one small way of setting the example. Yeah. I have a story about, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> reacting in those moments. Uh-huh. So in service a couple weeks ago, 
my husband runs lights for me. And so okay. I was back. So our tech booth is set up with like two tiers. So there's like two okay. floors kind of. So he's down on like the first tier running lights and I'm okay. the opposite back corner running video. And I realized one of the lighting cues didn't change the way it needed to because I didn't follow my own system of how I program and making sure everything's set to transition the way it should. Uh-huh. This is why we have systems. We follow the systems and things work. Yeah, yeah. But when you don't, things happen and you accidentally make your husband black out the entire room in the middle of the Love service. <laughs> and he's like, okay. And he's like trying to troubleshoot like to the best of his knowledge. And he was totally on the right track, but it was because I didn't set things up properly. Like I set him up to fail. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, okay, what do I do right now? And like took off my headset, like calmly walked down, fixed it real quick and then walked back, just left cameras on whatever camera was on. I don't even remember. Yeah, yeah. It's probably hopefully a wide shot. <laughs> it was dark, so it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> yeah. And one of our worship volunteers who's been serving with us for a long time, she said at the end of the weekend, she said, you know, it was one of those moments where even on stage, like we could panic and be like, oh no, what do we do? Do we keep singing? Do we stop? But the band kept going, vocals came in, they started the song and it just seemed like okay. almost this intentional moment of like introspection. Mm-hmm. It was definitely not meant to be <laughs> yeah. that way, but it, it worked out in my favor a little bit. Uh-huh. And she said, up here, we weren't panicked because we know Christina's back there and she'll take care of it. Mm. Yeah. And that was so reassuring to me, like that even our worship team knows that. Yeah. And because that's been established that way, you yeah. know, like they know we're going to take care of you guys. <laughs> the lights right, will right. come back on, you know? And yeah. and she said, it was funny because like, she's like, the lights came back on and I saw you just calmly walk back. And <laughs> I'm like, I'm so glad that nobody thought I was panicked because I was definitely panicked. But yeah, yeah. And it's definitely taken some time to get there. I used to be yeah. the just run everywhere if there was a fire kind of person. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think there's something about remaining calm and projecting a sense of calmness. It's like a superpower mm-hmm. that I don't claim to be the best tech person in the room, generally speaking. But for some reason, it's probably track record and a, you know just history that people see me back in the booth, even if feedback's happening or blackouts or whatever, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, it's going to be okay yeah. because I see Todd back there. Yeah, it's something about, even for our volunteers to think about, like you could be the best music mixer on the team, but if you miss you know, a transition yeah. or you're, you know, you're not staying calm in a crisis moment, it's like, yeah, mixing music, yeah, that's a good skill to have, but there's so much more to it. And, you know, so much of it is about how are you responding in the moment? Absolutely. And then yeah. how do you learn from it too when things go wrong? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, I was in our cohort yesterday too. Uh, we were talking about excellence versus perfectionism. And mm-hmm. one of the things that dawned on me is like the difference for me is like with excellence, it's all about what am I going to learn from the mistakes I'm making and how am I going to get better next time? Absolutely. Versus perfectionism is about not making any mistakes, which, you know, is not really possible. That's but, not possible. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just love the idea of excellence is a little bit better each day. Yeah. The goal is to learn from, you know, those things that are happening. Yeah. That's what I always tell my team on Saturday nights because we do Saturday night service and then two on Sunday morning. Uh-huh. And so maybe Saturday's a little rough and I'll tell them, okay, let's go back and watch it. Find three things that you just want to do better tomorrow. 
and mm-hmm. just do that little bit better each time. Yeah, I think it's also, I mean, you know this, the the trap of always improving. It's very easy to get into a place where you're always looking for the things that didn't go well so you can make them better. And, yeah. you know, when you think about us as tech people, we non-tech people generally don't talk to us unless something's going wrong. <laughs> yeah. Because everything else is invisible. All the good stuff just happens without anybody noticing. Yeah. Which is kind of how it's supposed to be. But then I find it interesting that even those of us who are doing production, we see the stuff that's going right. And even we just talk about the things that didn't go well, you know, with our with our own teams. So to not get caught in a, you know, a pattern of only talking about what can improve, but okay, let's get better, but also great job on that. You know, even somebody yeah. calling you out to say, I looked back there and saw you just like calmly fixing the problem. Like, yeah, for somebody to call you out in a positive way. Yeah, such a, it's probably how the body of Christ was meant to be functioning. Yeah, one of the things our team started doing a couple of years ago was at the end of the weekend, we get together mm-hmm. with the worship team and we kind of shout out like what went well this weekend? Like what was That's like so the good. highlight of your weekend and where did you see God moving? And it gives us just a good time for the band to recognize vocals or for vocals to recognize production. Hey, lyrics minister, you were on top of it. And we were confident because lyrics were always up and ready and early. Uh Or, you know, someone's like, wow, the lighting was so beautiful. I wish it was not behind me so I could actually see it. (laughs) But just, and then for us in the booth, like, we got to worship along with you guys and the harmonies were so beautiful. Just knowing like we see the good that's happening on both sides of it. Yeah, yeah. And that we're one collective team recognizing those good things, not just focusing on, well, you missed every cue and every transition was rough. And (laughs) there was that huge blackout in the middle of the set. Yeah, Um, yeah. It's so easy to get caught in the trap of just always trying to improve, which means, you know, pointing out the things Mm -hmm. that didn't go well. Yeah, and I just love that idea of encouraging each other because even your team knows at the end of this weekend, we're going to circle up and I need to be ready with something positive. Yeah. And so then you even start watching, you know, you start participating in the service differently because you're looking for something good. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I think improving too can be recognizing what was good and then repeating that Mm -hmm. more, not necessarily always looking for something bad and not doing that, you know, like let's find the good things and keep doing that. Right, right. Oh, I love that. For you in your journey, I have some questions about your transition from, you know, what you were doing during COVID and then how do you replicate that now in a live situation? What did you feel like your big challenge was? Like what was the hardest thing to match what you were, you know, all these pre-recorded things (laughs) to now doing it live? What was the, what was the big challenge there? During COVID, our communications team, which is technically a separate department of our church, took on recording. So we set up like this great little worship setup in the middle of our worship center, cleared all the chairs out and just circled up on the floor so that the band could at least interact with each other. And then our video guy, (laughs) Matt, he's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. He came in and he had like... I don't even know what they're called, but like, you know, the cameras where you have like the big handle things and they're yeah. really heavy. Yeah. <laughs> like you walk around yeah. with them. He had yeah. one of those going. <laughs> and so he was getting all these like really beautiful like B-roll shots. But then he also had staged like 
I want to say like five cameras on tripods just to get different angles of the circle. Yeah. And when he edits, like it's it's just magical. Like uh-huh. it's like watching like the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And so knowing like, okay, well, when we come back in person, Matt's not going to be able to just put cameras everywhere he wants because we kind of want cameras hidden, you know? Sure. And <laughs> trying to figure out how do we replicate that in person to the best of our mm-hmm. abilities and doing it live without cutting back and forth. And when I realized live video directing is just storytelling, that was like yeah. that was like the piece that I needed to be like, oh, I know how to do this. Okay, I'm a storyteller. Sure. I can do that. Uh-huh. And so thankfully, like that little bit of photography background that I have came in and helped out there. And we also upgraded our camera system at the time too. So we went from like, Two Sony FS7s locked off in the booth to some Blackmagic or some minis. And then after that, we upgraded again to some Hitachis that are fantastic. Okay. They're so mm-hmm. beautiful. And so then it was just reevaluating like, how do we use these cameras in a way that's compelling? Right. We were very much like, pick a shot, stay there, cut to the next camera, stay there. Like, we yeah. never did motion. And so when we came back in person, it was something that we really had to figure out and just take some chances and it's been fun to figure out with the team. That transition into video cameras and the video team are as hidden as possible to now I'm guessing they're a little more visible. Like was that a series of conversations between you and the church leadership or even just saying, hey, we're gonna try this one week and then we'll talk about it? Or like how did you how did you sort of have that conversation about, hey, we we're gonna try something different? Yeah. So when we first came back from COVID and we hit upgraded to these black magics, we kept one in the booth and then had two out in the house, like in the front, like mm-hmm. front row next to seats. Yeah. We had two of them out there and people were like, why is there a camera out here? <laughs> it was just very, <laughs> very foreign to us. And uh-huh. we ended up still not loving that shot. So it's actually not where our cameras are placed anymore. Sure. But had we not tried it, we wouldn't know that. And so sure. we loved it for worship, didn't love it for sermon. We also iMag in the room. So one of those cameras, if they're tracking with the pastor and he got too far to the side, you'd start getting yeah. the iMag with like the ongoing repetition. I love it. Yeah, the feedback, oh, baby. Yeah. So then we're just like, oh, it's infinity, Daniel. That's great. Daniel's our pastor. And um, yeah, he's like, yeah, I don't need to be up there 8 million times. Yeah. I don't even like being up there once probably. Yeah. yeah. So then we realized, okay, let's try something different. So in our current setup, we have two Hitachis back in the booth and then we have one out in our stadium seating. So it's kind of like our 45 angle. And Mm -hmm. that took some getting used to for people because they're like, why is there a camera here? How am I going to see? And it actually doesn't block anyone's view. Okay. But when you look at it, you expect it to. And so... Sure, right. Okay. It has definitely taken some getting used to and even (laughs) talking with the camera operators that sit out there, they're like, there's people trying to walk past me to get to the seats next to me, but I'm trying to do my job. What do I do? And we're like, oh didn't think about that. Okay, so now we have stanchions over there that just kind of rope it off when worship starts. But it's been a lot of conversations with leadership and sitting in the spaces to see, okay, does this block anyone's view? Is it distracting? And we've found like even in our our side shot, we can't have certain operators out there because they're too tall. 
So then they do start blocking people's view. <laughs> sure. So okay. I kind of have a rule like if you're over 5'10", you need to be in the booth. If you're under that, you can be out on camera three. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> if it's not hard enough to find volunteers anyway. Right. That you, like, have to <laughs> now introduce there's like a height, height requirement. I have to yeah. measure you like Disneyland. <laughs> it's great. And then for some special events, we do handheld cameras on stage. We're still trying okay. to figure that out. Sure. But that's like the next frontier for us. Nice. That's so cool. One of the things you said kind of at the very beginning of our conversation is just that you've been there for 15 years or you're you know, coming up on 15 years. How have you, how have you survived being there? <laughs> I mean, I, maybe to preface, I mean, my dad worked at the same place for 32 years. It was like in my head that, you know, that's, that's what everybody does. And it's not so much the case really, but mm-hmm. I'm not saying necessarily that, you know, surviving at a church for 15 years is a miracle. I think surviving anywhere for 15 years feels like not the norm. So how have you lasted this long? How have I lasted this long? <laughs> um, by God's grace and that alone. Yeah, that's good, yeah. <laughs> Definitely not because I am the best tech in the, in the I'm not even the yeah. best tech on our team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> so I think I've lasted that long because I've been able to adapt. Okay. Like I said, I started as the administrative assistant and then have just kind of jumped into filling the holes as they've popped up. I joke with my family all the time that like, it's like in that movie Robots that came out with like Robin Williams and it's like, see a need, fill a need. Like that's kind of what I've made a career out of is just, Uh okay, we need someone to do lights. Okay, that's me. I can do that kind of and figuring it out as I go. And I, I think there's like, almost like a naiveness to think I can do this and sure, <laughs> just yeah. being willing to try. But then I think one of the other keys to like longevity is learning how to adapt to different leaders because most likely your church isn't going to stay with the same leadership for right. forever. You know, things happen and sometimes, you know, people like your careers just don't line up at the same time. So when I started, our senior pastor had been on staff for 30 something years, like, Okay, more wow. my, more than my entire life. And uh, he was an amazing pastor. And so he kind of came up with like a secession plan and our current lead pastor took over March, end of February of 2020, right before <laughs> everything okay. happened. And our former senior pastor was like, yeah, I left it just the right time. <laughs> yeah. And he actually still serves on staff with our church um, in a new role and it's great because we still get to learn from him and hear his preaching, but it was definitely God's timing to see our lead pastor come in at Uh a point where we would have to rethink how do we do church in the pandemic. Sure. And our lead pastor actually gave a talk a couple of weeks ago at our volunteer appreciation night. And he was talking about leadership lessons from Daniel, which is funny because his name is Daniel, but he was talking about Daniel (laughs) in the Bible. And he was talking about how, Daniel was effective in serving four different leaders from three different nations. And Mm. most of that was because of God's favor on him, but some of it had to do with Daniel's own wisdom and the fact that he was able to get to know the different leaders and speak their language and know what's important to them and what are their quirks and really adapting to that. And I think as I look back on my time at my church, that's something I think I've done well. Like I've worked with two senior pastors, three different worship leaders, well, 
worship pastors and then other worship leaders alongside them uh-huh. and two tech directors. So there's been a bit of changeover and then also learning our different teachers that support them as well. So we have five pastors that rotate on the weekends and then five women that teach at women's Bible study. So I've had to learn like each one of them does their notes differently. How do I turn right, that right. into slides that properly support their lesson? Right. And then even learning like their little cues of when they're preaching and their pacing, knowing when they're skipping over stuff and then guiding our, our tech team to follow that. Right, right. That's so good. You know, just when you were talking about Daniel and working for, you know, four different rulers in Babylon, there are key moments in Daniel's story that we all know from from the Bible. Mm-hmm. But the thing that strikes me is that those stories are spread out over, you know, 80 years or, you know, like he's an old dude by yeah. the time a couple of those things are happening and that it's really a result of, yeah, those big moments, but also the everyday faithfulness in little things. Because otherwise he probably wouldn't have lasted that long. And I think yeah. about in our situation as tech people in the church and just even hearing a little bit of your story for over 15 years, like the ability to adapt, the ability to do something well and learn from it and get better and be responsible for a little bit. You know, it's that whole concept of, I'm thinking of the parable of the talents where like mm-hmm. if you're responsible with a little bit, you'll be given more. And yeah. Even in that parable of the talents, I love that at the end, the person that had one talent and just buried it, the overseer took that one from them and gave it to the person with 10. Yeah. Like you're not even, you can't even handle this one thing. So I'm going to take it and give it to the person that's going to do something with it. And I think so much of longevity is about, are we being faithful with what's in front of us and not wishing it were different or you know, just waiting for the big opportunities, but yeah, making choices every day that make you trustworthy. Yeah, I think being faithful where you are is what keeps you going. Mm. I know like, I don't know how much you share on like the, on these podcasts of like your personal story, but I've been through a yeah. lot in all mm. the different seasons. It just reminds me of how faithful God has been and carried me through. Mm. Like I w- got divorced at one point and had to figure out like, how do you reestablish your new normal of life after divorce and was a single mom for several years. And then my mom died in there as well. So like learning how to live without a parent. And then I got remarried and reestablishing what does that look like and how does work balance into that. And I've seen how God's been faithful in all of those seasons. So then it reminds me even when work is hard or challenging or you see all of your friends leaving and going to new jobs and you're like, God, where is my new job? Am I Should I be somewhere else? <laughs> It kind of just makes you remember like, no, God's put me here and I can be faithful here until he yeah. makes it clear I'm supposed to do something else. Right, right. And our church actually, we do like an annual theme every year. And a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. our theme was be faithful. And so it was like ingrained into me in a season where I saw a lot of people leaving, be faithful, be faithful. And I'm like, okay, God, show mm-hmm. me what faithfulness looks like. How do I be faithful yeah. here? And that was actually the year like I really learned lighting and poured into that. So it was sure, a cool year. interesting. I think there's so much about being faithful where you are or being content is maybe not the right word, but I'm just thinking about it's so easy in the world we live in to see what other churches are doing on Instagram. I mean, even thinking about your Instagram feed, like you're posting some great pictures of what your church is doing or even like how tight your team is and 
like there's a lot to celebrate there. But mm-hmm. from the outside looking in, it's like, oh man, things are going so much better there than where I am. And, you know, that might be true, but it's also, you know, there's some good things happening where you are. And, you know, the grass isn't necessarily greener, you know, somewhere else. And I, yeah, I think there's so much work that we need to do as individuals to be content with the thing that's in front of us. Yeah. I know from a technical standpoint, I used to come to conferences at Willow Creek and just get so depressed that like, uh, you know, it's inspiring and whatever, but I'm never going to be able to do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And at some point along the way, I was like, okay, I, I got to stop coming away from these things depressed. Like I got to, what positive thing can I possibly get out of, you know, what I've seen? And the reality is like, okay, what do I have in front of me? How can I crush it with what's right here? Absolutely. So with the lighting console I have, with the microphones I'm using, you know, the list goes on and on. With the team I have, like how can we do better with what's right here instead of just wishing it were different. Yeah. Because I think, yeah, being discontent is not a way to last anywhere very long. Yeah. One of the great things about social media is getting to connect with people, but then there's also that Mm -hmm. game of comparison that happens and you're like, oh, I want those movers and I want that and, you know, we want those cameras and we want our shots to look like that too. But not everyone's budget is at that level, you know? It's easy to look at the big churches and be like, yeah, we want to look like that too. And you're like, well, (laughs) is that us? Like, (laughs) and it's one of the things like I've had to like even check my heart on because I have a tendency Mm -hmm. to be like, yeah, we should do that too. I want to, you know, I want to be the biggest and the best. And like, that's not always what God's calling you to. That's maybe not the path that God has for your church. And that's, you just have to try to be clear on what that is and following God's leading there. Yeah, you said it. It's so easy to get caught in a trap of, I want to have those cool lights so we can do this out and I want to run a hazer and a bunch of stuff that by itself isn't bad and is really cool. But on one hand, does it even connect with what your church is about? And so we talk a lot about wanting to create distraction-free environments for people to have an encounter with God. And sometimes as tech people, we can distract by doing too much production. Mm -hmm. And so I think that having those conversations about what are we about instead of just doing it for the sake of doing it, which I think is, it's not hard to get into that mode, you know, yeah, let's do something cool, whether we want, you know, whether it's needed or what our church is about or not, but important to have those conversations about why are we doing this and what are we not doing? And it's easy to think the grass is greener somewhere else, but you know, that grass might be greener, but maybe it has gophers underneath. Who knows? So it's like, right, right. You, don't, you don't know what they're working with and what they're overcoming to do what they do. And, right. you know, they also don't know what you're going through and what you're dealing with. And if you can just be faithful with the bit that you have and using that yeah. to the best of your abilities, I think that's what we're all called to do. So, you yeah. know, some churches might be called to bigger things, than others, but we're all still called to share the gospel. So if you're doing that, you're on the right track. Right. Every church that you see on Instagram doing something amazing, what you're seeing is a buildup over probably years of small choices, little steps, faithfulness with a little bit. When I think about Willow Creek Church, where I was for so many years, I used to teach a breakout class about, you know, how to use what's right in front of you, kind of, you know, this thing we're talking about. And I would pull out, I had all these really old photos of, here's 1976 Willow Creek. 
and it's like eight par cans on <laughs> pipes and like three or four audio mixers like summed together, yeah. you know, with dials, you know, it was like, and cables everywhere. And like, <laughs> this is what they had. And they did amazing things with it. And it led to more and different and expanding. And, you know, now it's, yeah. uh, you know, from a technology standpoint, they're where they are today because of all those little steps. If all you're thinking about is where they are right now, they didn't get there overnight and neither will you. And yeah. so- what work can you do where you are to, yeah, just take one more step in that direction. Exactly. In a direction that helps advance the mission of your church, not just mm-hmm. production. Not just we want it to look cool. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, I mean, we do, but yeah. That's, we do. Can't be the only goal, yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting to me just hearing you say that when I was uh, at the church in Michigan, we had this Friday night concert once a month we would do. Mm -hmm. Local bands from the Detroit area would come and play. And it was one of those events that I'm going to say nobody cared what we did production-wise. They just like, hey, handle this event. And so we would get all kinds of creative on, okay, how can we do this differently? And how can we make it interesting for us? And and so, yeah, we were able to stretch and experiment and not have a whole lot of input from other people. And I think, uh, you know, maybe six months into this program, people started saying, hey, how come the weekend can't be like that thing we're doing on Friday nights? I'm like, well, it's because, yeah, we have too many demands. You know, the service requires 50 things for scenically and audio-wise and lighting. And, you know, this concert, this is the only thing we're doing. And, yeah, we can experiment and try new things. And sometimes it's really good to be, like, stretching and trying new things and pushing the envelope Mm -hmm. without, you know, tons of constraints. But then, you know, at a certain point to be like, okay, what of this does our church really, do we need to move forward with and what do we need to stop stop doing? And I think even recognizing what's sustainable for you and your team Oh, is geez, so yeah, important right. because if you're doing big, amazing things, but you're burning your people out, is that worth yeah. it? I don't think so. Right, right. And so I think you really have to weigh the the cost. And I know a lot of people have said this on this podcast, but like you have yeah. to weigh the cost of what does it take to accomplish those things? Yeah. And is it really worth it? Maybe it is. And then you hire more people yeah. so that the load can be evenly distributed and it's not right. Todd sitting there at 3 a.m. programming lights because right. that was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was one time at Chris, it was a Christmas service and I was doing lighting and we were having some problems with the hazer, like not filling the room up or something. Mm-hmm. And then even just trying to program lights while rehearsal's happening, it's like almost impossible because yeah. I need to do blackouts and all this stuff. And people are just, I can't see my music or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so during rehearsal, I just like, all right, I'll do what I can. But then w- once rehearsal's done, I'm like getting down to business. So yeah. this particular time was midnight or something. Everybody finally left. I'm like, finally, I get to like be alone yeah. and do this thing. <laughs> and the so the haze had kind of been building up in the room or whatever. And around two in the morning, the the air handler mm. was programmed to empty all the, like exchange all the air in the room with outside air. And so it just like the haze just disappeared, like in, seemed like in 30 <laughs> seconds, just like gone. Like, well, I'm going to bed, I guess. I'm, I'm not oh, going to stick around and wait for this. <laughs> yeah, it's time to go home. <laughs> but what you're saying is so important. A big lesson I had to learn 
early on was that to do things with excellence, we have to think about we're going to do the best with what we have. Mm -hmm. So the gear we have, the people we have, the time we have. But for me, I didn't really think about my own personal time as part of that equation. I was just sort of like, yeah, I, I'll stay up all night or I'll do whatever. But it's not a factor in, you know, whether we're going to do this cool thing or not. And yeah, after a while, you just, you can't sustain that kind of thinking um, because, yeah, just totally burnt out. And I think the real challenge is when should I put on the brakes and when should I put on the gas? Like to, to know that, you know, when is it important to push ahead and when is it important to say, no, we're not going to do that because, you know, we need to be around for the long haul. Because it's Christmas week and you haven't seen your family and you're sitting there at right. 2 a.m. still programming <laughs> yeah, lights. No, yeah. go home. See your family Yeah, when they're awake. Well, and part you know? of it too, yeah, I think the challenge too is I think we all want to do cool things. Yeah. And the problem with that is that takes time and mm-hmm. effort and energy. And I'm really bad. This has been an interesting summer for me. I haven't done a great job of just enjoying the summer. Like this is slow time in the production world. So the, some of the stuff that I'm doing like Philo's ha- just happened, so like that pressure's off, and now there's not a whole lot of other production events happening. Like I should be like taking advantage of the slow time to just like have it be slow instead of pushing forward with new yeah, things. Yeah, pushing and pushing and pushing. <laughs> yeah, part of, we were talking earlier, I think before we hit record, just about morning routine, and so like I mm-hmm. I wake up at five. I try to wake up at five thirty every morning because I need to in order to get in the things that I want to get done. And this summer, I woke up at 5.30, but I immediately hit the ground and did none of those things, but just started working. Work, 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 work. And now that the summer is over, I'm like, what did, why did I do that to myself? <laughs> but I think we just have to be careful that it's, it's, it's easy to get wrapped up in doing cool things yeah. and not taking care of ourselves. Absolutely especially in those really busy seasons. Like we're just like, well, yeah. it's just for these two weeks, but you right. s- you still need to be able to have relationships with people outside of all of the things you're doing. Like your identity is not yeah. wrapped up in what the lighting looks like or what the mix sounds like or what video looks like. It's What? I know. <laughs> I just learned this Wait a yesterday. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's a fresh idea for me. But oh my gosh. It's like if you can just understand and live out your identity in Christ rather than in your work and in mm. that reflection, you'll just, yeah. there's so much more grace. Yeah. I think too, just even this idea of longevity and lasting a long time in ministry, I feel like I do a really good job of sprinting to the next thing and sprinting to the next thing and sprinting to the next thing and being frustrated at the lack of progress that's happening on the team or whatever. And if you stop and look back far enough, like if we look back a year ago and you think about where was your team then? What were we capable of? What are we capable of now? I mean, I think most of us would be like, oh my gosh, we have grown. It has gotten better. Mm -hmm. We we have made some improvements. And then uh, on the opposite side is to look far enough ahead to say, okay, this is coming in six months, what am I, what do I need to do to get there in a healthy way? Or how can I be more intentional about that thing that's further away instead yeah. of just the thing that's right in my face? Yeah. How can I set aside the time to build in those systems before we actually want to launch that thing? Like yeah. for us right now, like I'm trying to get all of our lighting operators completely trained, not just here's the button, hit go. Right. 
but actually set them up. So when they want to change some of my programming, that's totally fine. I want them to do that. Yeah, I want them to have that creative outlet. And so it's like, well, do I sit down and just show them once or do I actually sit down and create maybe a guidebook that they can refer back to so yeah. that they can, you know, kind of, if they have a repeat question but they don't want to ask again, they can use that resource instead. Sure. But you have to be so intentional about finding time to build those systems and right. I'm still trying to figure that part out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Life requires intentionality mm-hmm. and I think I'm really good at not being intentional most of my waking hours and harder work. And then suddenly it's 10 p.m. and you're like, where did the day go? <laughs> right. So one of the things I'm trying to do in the morning is I spend a little bit of time in my Bible and journaling and that sort of thing. And I'm trying to do less time than I had been Mm -hmm. because I'm trying to say, I'm not going to get distracted. I'm just going to use, it's the only thing I'm going to do during this time instead of having my phone nearby or whatever. And then also I've been trying to do more writing. And so that just doesn't happen unless I make time for it. And I thought, well, maybe I'll take a week in October and, you know, get away and like, yeah, that's probably not the right answer. I mean, that sounds (laughs) nice, but... You know, I should be doing a little bit every day. And mm-hmm. if I don't make time for it, it's not going to actually happen. And yeah. being intentional with life is exhausting. But it's something we need to do, yeah. yeah. And I I think too, like in those creative things like writing, it's, and I hate this analogy, but like it's like exercise. If you don't use that muscle regularly, yeah. when you go yeah, to yeah. use it, it isn't quite as quick to jump into it. And right, so right. I find like, even with like programming lights, like, you were saying, you know, you can't do it during rehearsal. Like you kind of have to get into a rhythm and then it all just magically comes together quickly, right? Yeah, yeah. But you kind of need like that isolated time to do it. Mm-hmm. And so it's that same thing with writing or any other creative form. Like if you're not setting a time, a side time to be consistent in that, it's just harder when you try to jump into it sporadically. Yeah. So even when you think about, uh, you know, getting towards Christmas. Uh, from a production standpoint, you know, it's like building relationships with your worship pastors and building trust on your team that we're not going to destroy your life in December. And there are all these little things that we can be doing to to help us, you know, cross that finish line in a little more healthy way, mm-hmm. but it's not going to do itself. Yeah. Just have to look ahead, plan ahead as yeah, much as you can. Geez, I'm horrible at it. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> we're, uh, we're getting better note, each year, it feels yeah. like. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. And part of it is maybe we put too much pressure on ourselves. You know, my thing is if we, oh, if you start Christmas planning in October, can you be disciplined to let that time frame inform what you can actually get done instead of, yeah. you know, doing Christmas that took six months, but you did it in four instead of saying, well, Christmas this year will be a four month plan because that's the yeah. time we have. Yeah, it's that it kind of goes back to that discipline of is it time to push? Is it time to hold back? Is it time to say yes to this or time to say no? Yeah. I think that's kind yeah, of like where my team is landing right now is like <laughs> seeing okay, we're kind of in a season of transition with new leaders coming in and uh-huh. trying to like bring them up to speed on things but also leaving space for them to have ideas and lead as well. We're working on other things too, you know, like we're focusing on those relationships and establishing good relationships to begin with. Yeah. And I think that building up a process and, you know, training new people and getting more people involved with more ownership, it takes time away from, you know, maybe the immediate, you know, if you were just going to do lights for this weekend, Mm -hmm. it takes a little bit away from that. 
uh, you know, what we could do lighting this weekend, but it also sets us up for six months of weekends that yeah. will happen at this at the same level because there are more people yeah. involved. Before I forget, there's a book by Rory Vaden, V-A-D-E-N, called Procrastinate on Purpose. Ooh. And it's a really I'm great... I'm really good at procrastinating, so yeah, this sounds great. Yeah, it's a great. great book about how to delegate and how to think about the time investment in training somebody, somebody new instead of doing it yourself. Mm. We'll put that in the show notes too. I think it's just a great book to think about investing in others, yeah. figuring out what are the things I need to not do and invest in somebody else doing. So, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. You guys did an Instagram Live a couple of weeks ago uh-huh. with Dylan and Dara Samuels. And uh-huh. yeah. one of the two of them mentioned the idea of like, if if someone can do it 80% as well as you can, yeah. just let them do it. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that makes sense. Like, why wouldn't I? Like, and you, I think sometimes we think I have to be the one to carry everything, right? But right, the truth right. is, God's placed other people on your team, like whether they're yeah. volunteers or staff, but He's put those people there to come alongside you and share that load. And I yeah. think when <laughs> I have a tendency to like hoard the responsibility, when sure. I do that, <laughs> I'm not giving other people that space to serve and use their creative yeah. gifts too. So even yeah. if someone else's lighting isn't as complicated as mine, maybe it's simpler, mm-hmm. it's still beautiful and it's still that offering that they're laying before the Lord for his people mm-hmm. to worship him. And so yeah. who am I to say, hey, it's not as good as mine, so don't bother. No, like right, right. create yeah. that space. And then as they get to do it more often, that creative muscle mm-hmm. gets exercised more and more and it builds up. And even if it doesn't, it's still a good thing. Yeah. I think in that Instagram live, it sort of dawned on me that if I have somebody on my team who can do it 80% as good as me, if I involve them with that 80%, the capacity of our team increased, you know, mm-hmm. by that percentage. Like yeah. we wouldn't be able to do other things because we were unwilling to let an 80% job be acceptable. Especially in, you know, church production, like it's all about like building teams and having people and this is how the the body of Christ was designed to work for us all to be involved and even yesterday I was talking to Chelsea about one of the tensions I feel as somebody delegating is like, I want to make it as simple as possible for somebody to serve. And so what then sometimes can happen is that all they're doing is hitting a space bar. And I think most mm-hmm. everybody has more capacity than that. Yeah. Um, and so how do, how do we feel comfortable about delegating more than just button pushing, but engaging their mind, engaging a little more time, you know, because mm-hmm. if you want to do more than just pushing the space bar, you got to know a little bit more and invest a little yeah. bit more. But then you feel more a part of what's going on. And I even think, I mean, even in your story, if somebody hadn't entrusted you with that, you know, to like, hey, just figure it out and we'll see how it goes. I mean, yeah, we all need that. Yeah. Make the mistakes and learn from them. And I think just being willing to like give people that space to own their role more and more. Yeah. It takes so much more off your plate. Like I have one girl that runs media. Like if I could clone her, mm-hmm. I would because I know <laughs> when she's on slides, 
if the pastor needs a change, I don't have to jump in and do that. She can handle right. it and she yeah. handles it just as well as I do. Yeah. But you also have to like, you have to know your team. You have to like take the temperature of someone like, maybe they're overwhelmed by that idea. Okay, well right, then let right. me step in. And then you can slowly empower them to, hey, you know, when when the band goes a different direction with the song, you can move the slides around so that they match. You don't have to <laughs> yeah. hop around. Oh, I can do that? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and just starting with like those small changes and then building them up more and more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm so good. Well, it's been so good to talk with you today. Thanks for joining us. And yeah, we should do this again sometime. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been good. That was really great talking to Christina. I love the phrase her dad used, see a need, fill a need. And that is something that she's been following most of her life. What a great perspective to have as technical artists. You know, not just doing the job that's in front of us, but really looking for where the needs are and seeing how we can help. It was also really interesting to me how long she's been working at The Grove. To be anywhere that long doesn't just happen by accident. And I thought her answer was so good and something we can all learn from. You know, she attributed her longevity to the ability to adapt to different leadership styles. You know, she had different leaders and she would adapt to their styles. And I know that as leaders, people talk about how important it is to lead each person the way that they need to be led. But there's also something to adapting our follower style to meet the needs of the leader. And this reminds me of Liz Wiseman's book, Impact Players. If you watched the Philo conference online in 2022, you would have been able to see my conversation with Liz talking about how to adapt our style to become the types of people that are easy to lead. I would definitely recommend the book. It's so good. And you'll be able to find the link in our show notes. And speaking of book recommendations, the Philo book, that's our book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas. It's a great gift idea to give the people on your team. It's a great conversation starter. It's a great chance to just talk about the things that really matter for your team at your church. They're available on Amazon, but if you're looking for 10 or more, you can head to philo.org slash book and get a bulk discount. Don't forget to sign up either on version or for our email newsletter to receive information about the Philo Advent series. You can also follow us on social media at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram and at Philo Conference on Twitter. All right, that's it. Till next time. Mm-hmm.